tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Open doors to those who are needy. You're listening to the latest. I'm Tammy Trujillo. You're listening to KCAA Loma Linda at 106.5 FM, K293CF Marino Valley. The following program on KCAA is pre-recorded. Welcome to Building Solid Foundations Radio. I'm your host, Steve Matley. We are on KCAA 1050 AM, and we are on KCAA 106.5 FM now. Um, if you miss a live show, don't forget to catch us on kcaaradio.com. All the shows are archived on there, or you can catch us streaming. You can actually see us broadcasting in the studio on Roku, Amazon Fire TV, or on the Android app. Look for the Building Solid Foundations channel. It's a free download for you. We're on 15 podcast platforms right now and expanding that, so you'll probably catch us on your favorite podcast platform out there, or snippets will show up on YouTube as well. So catch us any way you can if you miss anything. Generally, we are on on live on Thursdays afternoons at 3 o'clock and Sundays at 2 o'clock on KCAA Radio out of Loma Linda. Today in the studio with me is Gisela Loling. Gisela Loling, Dr. Gisela Loling, is an educator, uh, architect, uh, she's um, engineering background, construction manager, uh, been around the world internationally, um, coming from Europe, coming from Middle East, coming from Asia, and now the United States. Uh, fascinating background. And we're going to go through some of her background. Now, I know Gisela from the academic world. We worked at the same institution. However, um, that's a different conversation for a different day. Today, I want to talk about her professional background because, as you know, I'm very active in real estate development and construction, and that's what I want to focus on today. So, Gisela, welcome to Building Solid Foundations. Thank you very much, Stephen. Pleasure to be here and delighted to get the opportunity to share a little bit of the international uh, dimension of my work. Great. And, and now the listeners out there, uh, after you've introduced yourself, are asking themselves, I can't put my finger on that accent. Where exactly does that come from? Because you come from a combination. So tell us about that. <laughs> it's completely muddled. So originally from Germany, but educated in the UK. First job was in New Zealand. And then afterwards, I went to uh, back to Germany for a short stand at a future uh, trend analysis research institute for the Fraunhofer and then went for 15 years to Dubai and then five years in China and uh, now in the U.S. So a world traveler, and again, both in uh, practice and in education. And again, I want to kind of focus on your practice background. Um, your education background goes from 98 to the present day, but uh, your practice goes back even uh, further than that. Um, you were very active in the Middle East doing uh major, major construction projects. Uh, so fill us in a little bit on that, because the Middle East, um, I think is, I don't know, I haven't been there, but I hear it's a little bit tough world for a female leader to be in. Uh, yes and no on that one. I mean, it's a fairy tale land for architects, and it's a fairy tale land maybe also for real estate and investment developments to go in, because um, it is sold as that uh, via the market. I initially went down as an academic and uh, was then approached whether I could help out on some projects in Dubai. And um, I joined, whereas all of my colleagues said, oh, my God, how dare you join there, et cetera. And it, everything that they do is copycatted. It's not good quality. And my motto was, if I can make a little bit of a difference to actually improve the quality, then it's worth my time. And that's what I did and worked on over 30 high-rise projects, over 
370 meters and one super high rise project, which is called the TT, which is with INP Associates, which is 1.2 kilometers tall high rise tower. It's actually four towers fused together with 50,000 people in the tower and 500,000 people in the community surrounding it. So it's like Manhattan in one project. Right. So Dubai is a place where you talk high rises. A hundred years ago, New York City was the high rise capital of the world. Chicago initially, then New York City. And now Dubai really is. And yes, there's copycat architecture through there, but Dubai has tried to do original projects. A lot of them quite original projects. so they, um, I think they, they're trying to build their brand on being unique, different, and having the tallest, most impressive skyline in the world, it looks like. So it's a great place to, to get into that. Um, all of it, un, unusually, it's kind of controlled by a singular owner, though, right? Correct. It's owned by the Sheikh. And uh, legally, this is also something that a lot of people are not aware of, that the constitution never changed. So only Arab locals legally actually own and can purchase land or property. So for all the foreigners that invested, there's a special construct that was actually developed in order to make it quasi-legal, that they can actually own and purchase a property there. So they actually own property or are they owning shares and entities that own property? They own properties, but they can't go to the courts. They will go to an arbitration committee if there is any dispute. Okay. And this was only coming to light in 2008 when there was market crashed uh, worldwide that they actually realized that there is a loophole and otherwise they would have a mega disaster internationally on their hand. And they solved it with um, a couple of very good lawyers. One of them you've met earlier uh, out Mm -hmm. in the lobby that was crucial in that um, to actually make sure that this gets a legal coverage. So they staff the arbitration courts with lawyers and with uh, judges. So they're not just uh, mediators. And that gives it a quasi-legal status. Okay. Um, And... and Working over there obviously is a different culture. Uh, so you've been in multicultures. Even Europe, um, Germany and Great Britain are both um, European cultures, but different. Obviously, they have history of being quite different. Um, then the Middle East is extremely different, although there's a heavy European influence there uh, because of colonization. And then in Asia, that's an entirely different culture. So obviously very flexible, very adaptable. Um, What would you say is the most striking difference uh, working in those areas? I mean, the culture is the difference uh, as a a nutshell. But as you pointed out, there is a lot of parallels or they are leaning on to the West because they want to they want to prove themselves that they are equal to the West. So their regulations or their behavior or procedures are based on the West, so typically that then the American systems would be used for, for example, for urban planning sites, but then the building regulations would be pivoted around the uh, British regulation system. So they are all very, very similar. And then they're starting to adjust them to the locality due to the climate in the one part and also due to the culture in the Middle East, predominantly because of the religious aspects. But that has also been watered down, to be honest, because they are the minority uh, actually in the country. So there's only maybe 10% of locals in Dubai actually there, and the rest are all coming from all over the world. And you need to make justice to a, um, a mixed uh, society as well, because otherwise you can't rule it. So that but, but is Dubai, from the eastern one side. Yeah, Dubai has gone out and actively uh, courted um, Western money and Western ideas and, and concepts to come in to modernize the city. They were, uh, people don't, I don't think, a lot of people may not know, it hasn't been very long since Dubai was a kind of a fishing village sort of a Correct. place that really wasn't much to be seen, kind of third world. And then it was an oil producing place. And then at some point they decided, what if the oil runs out? What's plan B? And they created what is now what we know as Dubai. It's all been very recent. On, on a, when you look at you know, the scale of history, it's been really a a generation and a half, maybe. Correct. 
And it's the question what happens afterwards. And that's the key question where we, there are so many variables, which I mean, politics, economics, uh, global warming, what it does to the Middle East and to the property lines there is all elements. And then when you're going across over to Asia and you're looking at the forces there, and yes, they did similar lean on the West in order to mirror to a development that would be attractive and also successful being uh, evaluated by the West. But at the same time, they are now going backwards and trying to, not backwards is maybe the wrong phrase, it's they are uh, Chinesifying their system because they are proud of what they've achieved, rightfully so, and mm -hmm. they do stand a very good comparative uh, to any Western city development in China. Uh, but, but for me, what's interesting is how the market forces have changed and how pivotal education was in that. So if you take the Middle East, uh, 20 years ago, there was no program that taught um, sustainability or taught urban design. So they were bringing people in. They were either bringing international consultants in or they trained people from the regions up to do that job. And that was so-so because it was a training up rather than actually really achieving a skill level. Now they've gone through one, two generations actually of students' cohorts that are also brought up from there that are making them a major impact to make it a education or a construction real estate uh, situation that does justice to the locality. And that's where it then closes the loop, this merging of the Western education system, the Western base laws that they had with the Eastern um, culture and the Eastern way of doing things. And that they've achieved now in the Middle East. And I think similarly in China, that they are at that point that they can stand by themselves. They do not need the internationals any longer to come in. Okay. And, and I think that's, that's the natural evolution of most places. You, um, If you're going from somewhat primitive to more modern, you, initially you have people that come in and bring their ideas from outside in and plant them there. And then as you train people up, eventually those people adopt those ideas and then over time they create their own version of their right. own ideas and then merge that with their own identities. Right. And then pretty soon you have what what's uh, more of a, a native uh, identity going on there, different than what was there, but uh, their own flavor of, of what the modern world looks like. I, I Again, I think I've never been to Dubai. It's on my list of places to go, but I find it thoroughly fascinating to see what they do there and uh, the fact that um, when they put their mind to something, they get it done. Uh, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation uh, with uh, Dr. Gisa Lolin, we were talking about international real estate development and uh, working multiple continents um, and multiple countries and multiple cultures in the built environment. Uh, this is Steve Matley on Building Solid Foundations Radio. We'll be right back after this short break. Choose power today and help us create a cleaner planet. Over the past years, utility prices have rapidly increased. Power provides home energy solutions that would save money. Power is the world's first virtual solar company that aims to adopt sustainable energy worldwide. Our company delivers low-cost, clean, and reliable energy solutions. The solar investment allows you to become eligible for an income tax credit. The solar investment is a great way to provide long-term value. Power is the first solar company that reduces carbon footprint for a cleaner environment. Power is experienced and one of the fastest growing solar companies in the United States which provide the best solutions according to your needs. Call today for your free solar consultation. Join us as one of our ambassadors and earn $1,000. Earn $1,000 when the installation is completed. Free sign up at www.power.com slash marie.wait slash ambassador. Feel good about what powers your life. Marie Wait, your solar consultant. 9513785316 Enjoy your life with solar.com Real men of real estate Men of real estate radio show here on KCAA Oats mortgages can be purchased All of us want to live in thriving communities Basically go to the radio station kcaaradio.com You can find us on your dial at 102.3 FM 10:50 AM as well as 106.5 FM. 
Are you a real estate investor looking for a new opportunity in one of the top tourist destinations in the world? Look no further. Welcome to Punta Cana. Perla Bahia is a private resort style community in Punta Cana that consists of modern condos, custom villas, and various commercial amenities. So if you're interested in learning more or joining us on one of our monthly investment tours, don't hesitate to contact me today at 909-494-2280. Welcome back to Building Solid Foundations Radio. I'm your host, Steve Matley. We are talking today with Dr. Gisela Loling. We're talking about her experiences working around the globe in multiple continents uh, in uh, architecture, construction, engineering, putting together projects. Um, one of your last places you were in was in China. Uh, China is, um, I think, a lot of um, mixed ideas and perspectives we have here about China. We get little snippets of what it's like over there. Some people from US have been over there. Most of us have not. We've seen things on TV, we see videos, we see different little bits and parts. Um, but we've seen it become much more Western in the last few decades. But at the same time, China is a place that is um, establishing their own identity and somewhat um, calling back to their heritage. Um, so tell us uh, what things are like, how they run things in China, how they do things, how they structure projects, because I, I know they're, they're different than what's here. I mean, like any of the reporting, it's always biasness and uh, uh, focuses as well right across the world, whether that is from the U.S. perspective or from the European perspective to report on China. But I find it it's not really telling the story of what is happening there. They are advanced to a level that we will not be able to catch up. And I think what is clear with the COVID situation, how dependent we already are on them uh, because of the manufacturing mm -hmm. that is happening over there. And they're not only copying, they're actually bringing out their own products. Their first series of products maybe was a little bit, yes, you could tell that it was copied. But now the second and third generation of products, they're really advanced that will make very strong competition because they are a lot less expensive, loss, lot less heavy in their processes of design um, than in the West and very, very good quality products, whether that is for the cars or whether that is for architecture as well. We tend to think of made in China as being cheap knockoff stuff, you know, 99 cent store stuff, but that's there was a time that Made in Japan meant that. Exactly. And then later on, Made in Japan meant much better quality than what we could get domestically. Um, so it, so China is, a, is, a, is now achieving that level of success. I right? think it's like the story of the Made in uh, brand for Germany came from. Being German, I can sort of comment on that. It was 1890s, okay. and it was a... Uh, requirement from the British government to put actually made in Germany in because they thought they were such terrible products uh, that they didn't want wanted to be showcased at a uh, trade union um, in the UK. And they, by the time they enforced it, the, it became a quality approval. And I think that's where China is now at. Yes, you do get some cheap products from China coming out. But as my friend quoted, the Chinese are very clever. They uh, export a lot of the cheap stuff and they keep the really high premium stuff to themselves. So there's a difference of what you see in the country versus what you see as products going outside of the country. That's the one thing. So our perspective is the Chinese make a bunch of garbage and send it here and it's, it's cheap. Their perspective is these Americans, they buy nothing but cheap stuff, and that's correct. why they keep exporting it. Yeah, so, so it's a difference in perspectives. <laughs> Absolutely correct. Um, if you really want cheap products, you would go nowadays to uh, Cambodia or Bangladesh. Uh, you would not any longer go to China because it's also too expensive to produce in China. Um, I have seen more Maseratis and Ferraris and Porsche and Rolls Royce in Suzhou, where I stayed beforehand, than in Dubai. And that says a lot. There's a lot of affluency, and but there is a different understanding about wealth. So my cleaning lady owned three properties, and my technician owned several properties, um, and that's completely normal for them. And they would not stop working because they're doing this for the next generation. Right. They are not doing them it, uh, accumulation of wealth, not just for themselves, and that's I think a key difference that one does not rest, one continues. It's a different attitude towards life 
and what one achieves. And, and I think that was a philosophy in the U.S. up to a couple generations ago. Um, my, my grandparents, um, they started with nothing. Um, and by the time they retired, they had built a pretty decent portfolio. He worked hard in retail, but he worked all the way up till the time that he finally sold his business off, even though they were doing quite well up until yeah. that point. But they were raised in a generation where you worked because work itself was fulfilling, that being able to be productive and contribute and do something to help other people. Uh, we've kind of lost that here, but it sounds like China, that's still the prevalent. Um, and I, I think that's true in generations that as the closer you are to the generations that were raised when there wasn't much, the, the better the work ethic you have and the more you look at work itself as a fulfilling mission. And I think everybody trying at this moment in time because of COVID situation to put their money into what I would call brick gold, I invested into real estate, caused this skew that the real estate market, at least in China, when you're buying something is very, very expensive for when you're pegging it against the salary and the income of somebody, but renting is very, very cheap. Um, so renting a, a top-notch uh, future home uh, with uh, marble floorings, etc., on it will cost you for two-bedroom maybe $800, $900 a month, uh, whereas purchasing that property would cost you $750,000, which is then as in a balance between rent and, and buying costs, actually, it's skewed and it's not quite in the normal range because you would expect a 10-year rental or 20-year rental as a price for the value of the property. But it's not like that because everybody wants to buy and that overinflates the market for actually We've seen that in some of the micro markets here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Here in San Diego County, for example, um, it is more cost effective in a lot of places to rent than it is to own something because the cost of real estate is so high. Um, I know where, where I live, I could buy something very similar in a building and I, I have real estate holdings in four different states and country projects, uh, but where I live, I actually still rent it. Why? Because for the same type of building with the same space and the parking and all the accessories, all the, all the accoutrements you get, um, I would spend three times as much to own it between the mortgage and the HOA dues and the parking fees and all the stuff than what I pay. And the difference is invested into other projects mostly out of state. So it, it allows the investment. And it sounds like that's the same kind of deal in China, probably even more so. Yeah, but it's right across uh, China. So it's not yeah. just in pockets themselves. It's and because the whole country, yeah. the whole country and 80% of the population lives uh, along the East Coast. That's the, also the other understanding. It's all very, very close along the waterfront. Uh, along it rather than inland where it's a rural area than more. And I think it's, I think most of the world, most of your population is along the waterways. It tends, to, tends to be along the coastal yeah. areas. But that, that makes sense for logistics reasons, receiving and shipping stuff. The, the inland areas have always been more agrarian. That's where you grow things. Correct. Um, but China did a major uh, shift where a lot of people came out of the agrarian areas and into the cities. Uh, I think here, again, here in the West, we have misperceptions. We know about Beijing and we know about Shanghai and we know cities like that. There are many cities in China that we've never heard of, we don't know exist, that are two to three times or more the size of New York City. And to China, they're just average cities, metropolitan areas. If any of those was transplanted into the U.S. or Europe, they'd be the biggest city there. Correct. Correct. I mean, the, the size of the city and the, the size of the population is enormous. So to brush it all off with a statement and a focus on the rural area is also not doing justice mm -hmm. because the majority actually lives in the cities. Right. And the cities are very well developed and their infrastructure is impressive. And I wish we in Germany or in Europe would have, and I guess also here for the U.S., Actually, the train systems that they've got is amazing. It's out of this world. So the U.S. is lagging behind Europe on that, which is lagging behind Asia on that. Yes. So, yes. <laughs> but they've took the technology from uh, Germany and France for the fast trains, and they've uh, increased the speed on the trains. They've developed their own generation of trains that is actually 50% uh, faster, and that's exemplary for all of the things that yeah, they are doing. They copy, learn yeah. from it. 
develop it faster and actually develop a, uh, a product that is much better than the original was. Yeah, here in California, I believe the so-called high-speed train project, which is a complete mess, um, I think there, the, there was parts of that route that weren't going to exceed like 60 miles an hour or something like that because they were old tracks. So that's not really high-speed rail in my book, and it wasn't going anywhere anybody wanted to go. Um, you know, I know in China that is actual transportation that people use. It's how you get back and forth. Um, and sometimes, um, potentially with not much different time than taking an airplane in between places. Uh, it's preferable to go by train. It's much more comfortable. And the aid is super efficient, super clean, super nice to go with. Uh, I would always prefer the trains in China to the planes. And, and it's a large country, so to span that means some of those train routes are going to be pretty long. Correct. But it's a massive investment from the government into infrastructure, education, healthcare, um, to actually ensure that their next generation of economic cycles are secured. Yeah, that was always one of the big arguments that why the U.S. didn't have those is because, well, you know, Japan's a small country and Europe, they're a bunch of small countries. So if they had the kind of landmass that the U.S. has, they wouldn't be able to do that. But China has a much larger landmass and has still done that. Yes. So that yes. argument doesn't really hold water. I mean, it's a better project, and you know it from real estate on yeah. your construction management side as well. If you have a larger project, it is much easier to do multiples or actually be more efficient in your process. It's economies of scale. Yes. That's exactly. right. That's right. And, and um, per mile, the cost goes down dramatically. Now, one of the big challenges, of course, is right-of-way. The longer it is, the more challenge you have on the real estate side of it. But once that's in place, um, the, the actual construction gets much more efficient if it's much larger. Uh, we're going to have to take another break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation on international uh, construction development infrastructure with Dr. Gisela Loling, who has been there, seen that, and worked on these projects. This is Building Solid Foundations. We'll be back after this short break. FireUp Connect is the most innovative business networking group, supporting and collaborating with a dozen of small businesses that are interested in building and establishing strong business connections, hosting educational live seminars while carrying out business and community-driven projects, as well as marketing programs as a part of its membership program. FireUp Connect also offers virtual assistance with a wide range of services including inbound customer support, chat support, appointment setting and email management, graphic designing video editing, web design and development, social media marketing, e-commerce solution, content writing and much more. For more information, head on over to www.fireupconnect.com. FireUp Connect, helping success stories unfold every day. Estate. Men of Real Estate Radio Show here on KCAA. Boats, mortgages can be purchased. All of us want to live in thriving communities. Basically, go to the radio station KCAARadio.com. You can find us on your dial at 102.3 FM, 10:50 AM, as well as 106.5 FM. This is Steve Matley. Join me every Thursday at 3 p.m. right here on KCAA for Building Solid Foundations Radio Talk Show. I spent decades as a professional construction manager, business owner, real estate developer, and a college educator, and I enjoy learning new things from other people. We talk a lot about real estate, business, and finance, but we cover a diverse range of other topics as well. Some of the topics we've discussed in the past few months include real estate investing, leadership, higher education, ADUs, Marketing using technology, multifamily rental properties, business strategy, entrepreneurship. You never know who may show up or what they may talk about. So join us right here on KCAA for Building Solid Foundations Radio. Hi, this is Steve Matley. As a construction professional, I know the importance of selecting the right contractor for the job. Power Solar employs only professional installers. Power Solar will provide a knowledgeable consultant to help analyze your current electric bill, identify site placement, and correct solar technology for your home. Contact kcaaproducer at gmail.com for a free financial savings proposal with no obligation or call 951-551-1350 and ask for Ken. Again, that's kcaaproducer at gmail.com or 951-551-1350. 1350 and ask for Ken. 
Welcome back to Building Solid Foundations Radio. This is your host, Steve Matley. Today, we're talking to Dr. Gisela Lolene. We're talking about uh, construction and real estate development and infrastructure around the world. And we, we spoke last um, segment about China and some of the differences. Uh, we spoke a little bit about the Middle East. But you originally come from Europe. And uh, Europe is fascinating. It's old world. Um, and yet, in some ways, more modern than even the U.S. in some places. Um, I haven't spent a lot of time there. I had actually several trips planned uh, between 2020 and 2021, which obviously never happened. And instead, my passport expired instead during that time. So now I've got to get that renewed. Uh, so I haven't been over there as much as I'd like. You obviously have spent a considerable time there. Um, so tell us about um, kind of living and being raised in Europe and the differences between those countries. And um, obviously, you mentioned uh, the Middle East being an architect's fantasy land, but a the middle the uh, the old school Europe is an architectural history fantasy land. I think I blame Hollywood on that one because okay. you have all these fantastic movies that make uh, Europe look so uh, fairy beautiful tales. and fairy taleish as yeah, well. It's that the land of Cinderella, to, like, is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that everybody wants to go to. Um, I, of course, being from Europe, I definitely are pro-Europe on this. Uh, however, it is also because of its age has its limitation because of it cannot as easily adjust infrastructure and systems. Yeah, tiny little streets. Correct. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was maybe very lucky because I grew up in a family that had uh, brick factories for over 250 years in the family. Okay. We had 25 factories and was one of the first ones in the 70s that got uh, European funding to go into robotics for the brick fac uh, manufacturing. Uh, so I always had the affiliation with. So uh, at that industry. era, then bricks would have been in huge demand because that was during reconstruction. Correct. Right. Correct. I mean, 250 years back, it's uh, it's even further. As right. But I was saying, but, but your trendy. parents' generation yes. would have been rebuilding after the war, right? Yes. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And uh, also exporting into uh, Iraq. I think we've delivered the stones for the um, parliament building, and okay. also in China, in Beijing. Um, so we always worked on an international level. Maybe that's the reason why I ended up in an international level. But to say on the on the side of construction at this moment in time, it's booming. So it's very difficult to actually get an architect to design you anything. It's very difficult to get a contractor to actually build you something because they are actually working flat out. And with it also post-COVID, the prices are going up for everything that you do at the moment there. Um, and that's maybe something that is worth spending a little bit of time on, on this entire economic situation, that what we are building, what we are constructing, and then what we are selling things for, this sort of skew that we are currently seeing because of an instability in the economy. Mm -hmm. um, and it's desperately filled. In the first phase, it was in the 2008 uh, time, everybody rushed for the gold, and now everybody seems to rush for real estate. And um, I wonder what's going to happen next and in how far the economies are actually able to stabilize it and whether it's an advantage of many countries like in Europe where different countries and the European Union tries to mediate this or whether it is better to be in a large country like China or in the US where you have a one person or one uh, party system or one uh, large uh, organization as in the two parties to actually able to stabilize an economy. Right. And that I don't know. I think that will be interesting to watch over the future of which one is better in acting sensibly for the economy and also not losing the people behind on a social system. Right. Now, now the architecture of an area generally tends to reflect the culture and its values. In Europe, the old school architecture reflects culture and values that mostly don't exist other than in tradition now. Uh, there are empty cathedrals and those type of things. Um, in some countries, they're reused. And in Britain, they're not because they're owned by the state. And that's that church is the state. So whether anybody shows up or not, they're maintained and taken care of. Other countries, that's not true. Um, so uh, how, how have you seen European countries uh, try to adapt? And, and I know they don't want to tear the old stuff down. They're proud of their heritage. At the same time, those buildings may not be as practical as what they would need for modern uses. 
it's uh, the heritage uh, authorities in the different countries are often acting like straitjackets. They protect it so much that it becomes very, very difficult. And then you need to have the right leverage or the right connections to actually get sense into them that this should be the case. So my sister is a Franciscan nun and actually has a convent uh, with 28 buildings that need to be restored. And the biggest problem is that they decided to choose the oldest part of the convent to live in. And the heritage uh, authority is making it nearly impossible because they don't want to make the building fit to live in. They want to have it more or less just like a museum. And that doesn't work. And that also is That's financially easy not to say when you don't live in the building. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it took a visit from the minister of uh, um, construction to actually see some common sense and get an instruction out back to the um, heritage authorities to actually become real of what needs to be done in order not to kill the convent off in the process of renovation. Yeah, I find the built environment, there's the little special interest groups that are always at odds with each other. There are, there are the historical preservationists, and I think that's important because a lot of great buildings get mowed under that shouldn't, I think. Um, others, they're just not safe. And then you have the, the code compliance, mm. that's a different special interest, and they're looking at life safety. And, and that is opposed to that. Uh, then you have, you know, people that are um, sustainability. Well, a lot of the old buildings aren't very sustainable. They, they leak like a sieve, right? Mm -hmm. Everything about them, you, there's no there's no air containment at all. And to and to upgrade them would just destroy them. Correct. So, so all these competing entities and then the different functions that we do now, the different way we live, um, is, you know, th these are buildings that were designed... Sanitary plumbing didn't exist. Electricity didn't exist. Um, conditioned air didn't exist. All things that are, you know, that's why people would die of tuberculosis and those kind of things. <laughs> the, just, you know, just diphtheria, those things. So, so as we evolve, those competing interests tend to be at odds. And I find that it, it's, it's here in the U.S. as well. I, I think it might be more so in okay. Europe. Correct. It's because they have a bigger, a deeper stake in it, a more history in it. Uh, we have more housing stock that is old and is actually then classified as the heritage um, mm. and makes it difficult and expensive for whoever takes it on and also makes it expensive to run and to live in it. And you sort of alluded on that as well, that uh, one actually has to be able to live in it. Otherwise, why have a building that is perfect if you can't use it for a museum? Everything and can't be a museum. Exactly. And uh, that makes then the issue that you get a lot of castles that are fully renovated after the wall came down and uh, they are sold for a dollar because actually running it will cost you an enormous amount and any alteration that you would want to do will cost you again an enormous amount and a lot of time invested to get it approved by the heritage uh, uh, sort of authorities. So it makes it, it makes heritage into something that is like putting it under a glass box mm -hmm. to a certain extent. There are some very successful projects, but they are unfortunately not the rule. And it would be good to make it that 80% of heritage can be revitalized and reused rather than being put under a glass box. And there are, there are some good historical rehabs that are done that, yes, they alter the original in some way to make it more functional. You have to put an elevator in. You have to put insulation in. You have to change windows. You have to do certain things, uh, fireproof roofing materials if they're thatched or something like that. There's different things you have to do. Uh, but the essence of the building and the fact that it's still there, I find a lot of times the most ardent advocates of preservation are the very people that are causing the building to decay, fall apart, and not be preserved. Because because it becomes prohibitive for anybody to come in and maintain. Correct. And they, that component of intangible heritage that the United Nations had put on and to valued it equal to actual built heritage, I think that is something that is not often enough in the discussion because it is not as easy to uh, um, sort of quantify. Uh, but of course, if you have a building that is still functioning as it did 100 or 200 years ago, I think that is much better than actually converting it just into a museum or letting it run down as the other option. And most museums don't have the funds to maintain anyways. Correct. So yeah, uh, they, they end up becoming part of um, an academic institution or something that now has to maintain that as part of their institution or something like that. That's the only way to keep it, make it work. Um, I, I find the other thing interesting, being, being not just in the US, but in Southern California, what is considered historical heritage here is laughable to most of the country. 
you know, a gas station that's 45 to 50 years old is considered historic, right? That, oh, don't touch that building. That's a historical building. Um, that That's a baby building in a lot of the world. Uh, you go to the east coast of the U.S., and those buildings may be 150, 200 years old, maybe a little older than that, and that that's historic building. That would not be an old building when you go to Europe. Europe, their buildings may be five, six, seven, eight hundred years old or older. Uh, then you compare that to the Middle East. In the Middle East, you've got buildings that, you know, 500-year-old buildings, nothing. They're, they're people living in houses that were, were there when the Romans occupied the place, and they think nothing of it. So I find all that to be very relative, the whole historic uh, preservation. But I, but I think, you know, preserving the character of an area is important, but at the same time, you have to keep it functional. Correct. Right. And, and don't, you don't want to discourage the investment into keeping those buildings standing and maintained, because the worst thing you can do is not maintain a building. And I think as long as we can encourage investment with a uh, sensible uh, heritage approach rather than a very conservative and limiting one, then uh, it is the right way to go about it. And there are success stories in, in Europe on this, but the entire infrastructure is also based, or the urban design is based on that grid system or on a road system that is preset. And that is something that you cannot change. And then you can really mm -hmm. only go, how do you revitalize or change the way of doing things? Where do you locate new facilities or building typologies that don't fit into the urban mm -hmm. setting? All right, we're going to have to take a short break here. Uh, we're going to wrap up when we come back after this. I'm talking to Dr. Gisela Lolin. We're talking about really international architecture, construction, buildings, infrastructure, and some of the challenges and differences in that. This is Steve Matley on Building Solid Foundations Radio. We'll be right back after this. Fire Up Connect is the most innovative business networking group. Supporting and collaborating with a dozen of small businesses that are interested in building and establishing strong business connections. Hosting educational live seminars while carrying out business and community-driven projects, as well as marketing programs as a part of its membership program. FireUp Connect also offers virtual assistance with a wide range of services including inbound customer support, chat support, appointment setting and email management, graphic designing video editing, web design and development, social media marketing, e-commerce solution, content writing, and much more. For more information, head on over to www.fireupconnect.com. Fire Up Connect, helping success stories unfold every day. Choose power today and help us create a cleaner planet. Over the past years, utility prices have rapidly increased Power provides home energy solutions that would save money. Power is the world's first virtual solar company that aims to adopt sustainable energy worldwide. Our company delivers low-cost, clean, and reliable energy solutions. The solar investment allows you to become eligible for an income tax credit. The solar investment is a great way to provide long-term value. Power is the first solar company that reduces carbon footprint for a cleaner environment. Power is experienced and one of the fastest growing solar companies in the United States which provide the best solutions according to your needs. Call today for your free solar consultation. Join us as one of our ambassadors and earn $1,000. Earn $1,000 when the installation is completed. Free sign up at www.power.com slash marie.weight slash ambassador. Feel good about what powers your life. Marie Wait, your solar consultant. 9513785316 Enjoy your life with solar.com Are you a real estate investor looking for a new opportunity in one of the top tourist destinations in the world? Look no further. Welcome to Punta Cana. Perla Bahia is a private resort-style community in Punta Cana that consists of modern condos, custom villas, and various commercial amenities. So if you're interested in learning more or joining us on one of our monthly investment tours, don't hesitate to contact me today at 909-494-2280. Welcome back to Building Solid Foundations Radio. I'm your host, Steve Matley. I'm talking to Dr. Gisela Lolin. We've been talking about really international um, 
architecture, buildings, the built environment, infrastructure. And, and we, we focused a little on the last segment about the past and uh, preserving the uh, history and the heritage. But let's take a look into the future. What's going on in the future? And the big contrast between old school Europe and modern day Dubai would be, and modern day China, those are very big contrasts. Uh, where do you see the future going? Oh, if I would know that, we'll actually make a lot of money on the stock exchange. Yes. Uh, but I think it's exciting what it can happen in the future. And I think COVID taught all of us a lesson that we can work completely differently. And we can work when we choose to work online as well. And when we choose to actually need make that more efficient and more effective. So I think it will question some of the building typology and just walking around in San Diego, you see all the banners up that are peeling slightly off of some of the buildings already yes. on yep. uh, leasing for office space tells the story. And, and that was happening before the pandemic. A lot of the office buildings were already emptying out for a lot of reasons. And that is just then accelerated as well. And it That's is right. from an architectural point of view, really exciting. What's the next building typology that will come on or how will it change? Uh, the way we design the homes, because if you then have to contain also work areas, then you can do that whilst you're, if you're living alone or if you're living with the family in order to ensure that. Um, I think for me, that's a really exciting way because it actually impacts in also the existing housing stock and how would you adjust and adapt the existing housing stock to make this work? And what is the future thing that everybody would want to have? Because one should not just look at what is currently selling, but what should be selling as a building type, as a facilities uh, and amenities. Because of course, if you ask and do a survey, you only get what people currently miss or currently value, but they can't anticipate what they should really look for in the future. Right, and I think, um, so there's some things that I think come up when you were looking at how do you design, well, well office space f was already dying because I think a lot of that, not just people working from home, but the computer data systems we have now. So I remember working in an office where a large portion of the office space was archiving plan sets, spec books, legal documents, well, all that gets digitized now. And not just on, you know, it was disk and then it went to flash drives and now it's on little cards, right? So, it, or now we even put it in the cloud. It's in a server room somewhere else. Some, you know, it's just stored digitally. We don't need all that storage anymore. Also, those same systems automated a lot of processes. So um, three or four people can do what a team of 12 used to do. You don't need all those different cubicles and office spaces. So um, the firm I worked for, for example, they probably do 10 times the volume of work that they did when I worked for them, and they do it in an, about 25% of the office space now. Um, and, and they do have people working remote as well. The remote just adds to that. So I, I think a, re, a reshuffling of that. Now, the residences, um, I think from the pandemic, some things that need to be looked at is people are getting a lot more of their stuff uh, delivered now. So part of, uh, I think, designing residences, how and how and where do packages get delivered safely to avoid the porch pirates and those things? Mm -hmm. Do you build something in where the people delivering have a place to put packages that are secure? Um, pets exploded. Everybody's got pets now. Um, you know, they, I guess, you know, you go home, you can't talk to anybody for two years. You get a dog, a cat, a bird, something, right? So pets, I, I think, and, and a lot of the urban environment's not really set up for pets. You know, you got some poor dog in there stuck all day waiting for someone to get home and then they got to get out and walked and, um, you know, buildings are now, I see, putting in dog parks and pet dog runs and those kind of things. Um, I, I know you mentioned where you, where you were living in the urban place, you have cats, but they couldn't, you couldn't get one the door because if you did, the cats would go flying off the balcony. So do you design things for people where they can have airflow but also not endanger their pets? Um, very correct. So I've uh, actually, the first thing that I did when I moved to San Diego is actually uh, hire somebody to create me something that I can temporarily put up on the balcony that doesn't obstruct the view and does not impact negatively the architecture, but at the same time secures the pet from flying off the... A, a pet that can climb really well. Okay, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, they, <laughs> cats have uh, rubber joints. Uh, so they would easily jump onto the balustrade and off they would go. So 
there's a lot that needs to be adjusted. And in China, during the COVID times, we actually designed with the students a project where the drones deliver to the top of the roof. Okay. And so instead, so you don't have anybody that could just come in on the ground floor, but actually have all of the packages in the top that then get sorted like through a shaft. So you drop them in a bit like Santa Claus. Yeah. Uh, yeah, or like Santa Claus a little yeah, bit through yeah. the chimney. And it would actually select them and put them to the individual apartments straight away into okay. like a room inside that apartment to try and ensure that uh, you have your delivery already at home and you don't need to carry it in. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that's a good idea. Uh, yeah, yeah and it's, yeah. it's coming and looking at new ideas. And I think s especially in the education side, you know it as well. Students are very fresh and uninhibited right. uh, with coming up with uh, ideas on how one can solve issues, whether that is uh, how do you screen somebody, whether they've got COVID as they're coming through the door, that they don't even allowed into the inner lobby parts, etc. on it. So all those sorts of issues become maybe more and more um, of concern as right. well on how to embed mm -hmm. that. And I think offices should focus on why do you come into an office? And if it's just for networking, um, then those should be really good networking spaces that you can actually. I think a lot at. of times there's um, an accountability factor that they feel they need to build in. But I think there's they have to go back and check assumptions that they are and rethink how do we ensure that people are doing what they need to do and delivering on time? Because they don't need to warm up a chair in the cubicle next Correct. to you to make sure that they're doing their work. And I think a lot of it also goes to delivery-based as opposed to time in the seat. Correct. You know, right. um, if, they, if they get their stuff yeah. done in I mean, four and a half hours instead of six, give them, their, give them the difference in time. Task-based. Yeah. And I think on that, uh, U.S. is really miles behind Europe. Um, Porsche produces their cars in 32 hours, the work hours is 32 hours, whereas from the trade union they would have to work 36.8 hours. Yeah. Uh, but they reduced it because they realized they have less mistakes in the cars. And I think we all need to get to that level that we, 30 hours is a good work-life balance. And if I can't make my living in 30 hours, the country has to change. And with that, we need to, to wrap it up. Thank you, Dr. Gisa Loling, for being on Building Solid Foundations Radio. It's been a fascinating conversation. Hope to talk to you again in the future and have a follow-up conversation on some other things. Uh, this is Building Solid Foundations on KCAA. Don't forget to catch us every Thursday and every Sunday live or catch us kcaaradio.com for the archive or on your favorite podcast platform on one of our streaming platforms. I'm your host, Steve Matley. And until next week, go do something different. <laughs>
You can shop online for Longevity at www.kcaateam.com or you can order by phone by calling 800-982-3197 and tell customer support that you are part of the KCAA team. Longevity is an American company based in San Diego. Call Longevity at 800-982-3197 and ask about monthly auto ship that allows you to buy Longevity products at wholesale prices. That number again, 800-982-3197. Advertising has been characterized as rattling a stick in a bucket, a noisy cry for public attention. One example of this crass hucksterism is the rush by top executives of multi-billion dollar corporations to splatter their corporate names on sports venues. Responding to a blatant scam by team owners, executives are spending absurd sums of their shareholders' money to win temporary naming rights to local stadiums, arenas, etc. The come-on is that this billboarding will buy brand recognition, customer loyalty, and even public gratitude for the purchaser. Seriously? Do you fly Delta, bank at Wachovia, or drive a Toyota because their names are on a big sports structure somewhere? And what do outfits like AmeriQuest, Qualcomm, and FTX even sell? And where are they located? As for public gratitude, ask Houstonians how thankful they are that global energy giant Enron slapped its name on the Astros baseball park in 1999, just three years before the corporation was forced into bankruptcy for being guilty of massive fraud and squalid executive greed. But the bucket-rattling name game keeps drawing new players. The latest entrants are purveyors of cryptocurrencies, the phantasmagoric here-today-gone-tomorrow form of digital money. One of these, Crypto.com, has just laid out a ridiculous $700 million, presumably in real money, not cryptos, to put its occult brand name on the home arena of the Los Angeles Lakers. Why? The parties to the deal put it in grandiose terms. A match made in heaven, exulted the arena's giddy owner even proclaiming that Crypto.com will, quote, help us chart a course for the future of sports. This is Jim Hightower saying, huh? I doubt that this cryptic Singapore-based money dealer can even dribble a basketball. It's just rattling the money bucket, turning sports into just another corporate money hustle. Now, here's a new concept, digital network advertising, where businesses display your ad inside their building. If a picture's worth a thousand words, your company is going to thrive with digital network advertising. Choose your marketing sites or jump on the DNA system and advertise with all participants. Your business ad or logo is rotated multiple times an hour inside local businesses where people will discover your company. Digital network advertising. DNA. A novel way to be seen and remembered. Digital Network Advertising with networks in Redlands and Yucaipa. Call in the 909 area, 222-9293 for introductory pricing. That's 909-222-9293 for Digital Network Advertising. One last time, Digital Network Advertising, 909-222-9293. Rawlings Automotive Inc. reminds listeners to take a moment to recognize our men and women in uniform who are serving our country. Their sacrifices help keep America strong and free. This reminder from Rawlings Automotive Inc. For all your classic car, hot rod, custom car, and truck needs, let Rawlings Automotive years of experience work for you. Call 951-361-3001. That's 951-361-3001. Visit RawlingsAutoInc.com. That's RawlingsAutoInc.com. Or stop by 6107 Marlette Street in Mira Loma. That's Rawlings Automotive Inc. on the air because they care. The Tri-City Shopping Center in Redlands is serving up some really cool ice cream at La Micho Acana. Then get your chocolates and other delights from Seas Candies. Moms and future moms who visit the mall can cool off and relax while they get treated like royalty at Shiny Nails or Francis Nails and then pampered at Texture Hair. The Tri-City Center is filled with retailers who care about you. Shop at the Tri-City Center in Redlands and see why they call it the Mall with a Heart. NBC News Radio, I'm Jim Forbes. Former President Trump is campaigning for his endorsed midterm candidates this weekend. He's set to speak at a rally in the Phoenix suburb of Mesa this evening for high-profile candidates like Carrie Lake, who's running for governor of Arizona. At last night's rally in Nevada, the former president warned that America is at a tipping point. 
If the radical Democrats keep their grip on the House and the Senate, your finances, your family, your community and your country will never be able to recover. President Biden is set to hit the campaign trail this week with stops in California, Colorado and Oregon on behalf of Democratic candidates. Another hearing by the House Select Committee investigating last year's January 6th attack on the Capitol is set for this week. Scott Carr has the very latest. With less than a month to go before the midterm elections, the next and possibly last January 6th House Committee hearing is scheduled for this Thursday. The Democrat-led panel will convene at 1 p.m. Eastern. Last week, the committee met behind closed doors with Ginny Thomas, conservative activist and wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. The committee asked Thomas to appear after learning she corresponded with John Eastman, a conservative lawyer who helped craft the legal strategy to pressure former Vice President Pence to unilaterally reject state electoral votes following the 2020 presidential election. I'm Scott Carr. And Georgia Democratic candidate for governor Stacey Abrams is sidestepping questions about her stance on abortion. Appearing on Fox News Sunday, she was asked to respond to comments from rapper Yee, formerly known as Kanye West, about abortion disproportionately affecting black Americans. Instead, Abrams pointed to the issues of black women being refused medical care and maternal mortality. She also doubled down on a promise to fight for abortion rights and the rights of women if she is elected in her state. And that's the very latest. I'm Jim Forbes. You're listening to the Inland Talk Express, 1050 AM and 106.5 FM, KCAA Loma Linda.